Well, as Sandy said, we just got back from a trip down to the Texas-Mexico border. Uh, we had 10 people go from our church. It was a phenomenal trip. A lot of great uh, memories were made. My highlight personally was visiting the shelter on the Mexican side of the border where there were Haitian uh, immigrants that were trying to come to the United States for the persecution and the things that they were experiencing there. We also got to run a uh, vacation Bible school program for a struggling church in La Villa, Texas. And we got to partner with them. They have a bilingual uh, service that they do. So that was a lot of fun. We sang in Spanish. We sang in English with the kids. Lots of dance. And we're sad when we finished the week. We also got to talk to uh, into the United States. And we're staying in Brown. And, of course, we saw the infamous border wall uh, while we were there. And, you know, it's interesting how... We humans erect walls or create ourselves. I can think of the Berlin Wall, the Great Wall of China. Of course, there's also uh, the wall in Jerusalem that separates Palestine from Israel. Even kids seem to get in on this. Have you ever noticed if kids share a room, at some point in time, do they not take like a piece of masking tape and like throw it down the middle and be like, this is my side, that's your side, right? And sometimes we do this for a really good reason. It's good to create some barriers and some boundaries. Uh, for example, we on this trip were visiting the U.S. Border Patrol, and they talked uh, about how you know, they really do a lot to keep us safe, and they keep the drug trafficking from crossing into the United States. And I thought, man, I mean, if you think about the drug problem we have, imagine what would happen if we just let it, it just wide open. So clearly there are reasons why we have borders and things sometimes in our lives. But as you think about your own life, have you ever created a wall or some sort of a, a division in your life? Maybe you told your kids, don't talk to strangers, stranger danger, right? Maybe, uh, maybe you live in a house that has a fence. Try to dogs or whatever. Uh, sometimes it's not even a physical wall that, that we have in our life. Uh, it's some sort of maybe attitude that we have in our Like, I don't really want to talk to those people. And we clearly let them know, like, there's a wall here. I don't want to talk to you. Or, like, I think a lot of people, they're in favor in theory of having, say, affordable housing, but not in my backyard, right? Because that's going to drop my uh, property value, and I don't want that. So it's worth asking, what kinds of barriers do we create and put up in our lives? God wants all people to know that they are loved. And as people who follow Jesus, we are on a mission to let people know that they are loved. But sometimes, intentionally or intentionally, we create barriers. We put up walls that keep people from knowing that they are loved, that keep people from being loved by God and by God's people. Well, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 2 today. It's part of our Ephesians series on our true identity. And we're talking about what does it look like to be a follower of Jesus. And so today we're going to talk about 
what that looks like in terms of creating space, a welcoming space for people. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 2 if you want to pull up your Bible on your phone. Today, because we are outside, we of course won't have it up on the screen, um, but I will read it out loud to you. So let's jump into Ephesians chapter 2. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us who one time gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. So, this is continuing the dialogue from chapter 1, uh, where he's talking to the church in Ephesus, and he's talking to them about being adopted into the family of God. He praises them for their love for all people. And he prays that they will know the hope that they have in Jesus. And that because they have that hope, they have access to the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. So chapter 2 begins with this reminder of some of those previous statements. And he says, you, you all are dead in your sins, dead in your transgressions. This happens when you are gratifying the cravings of your flesh, of your body. Now, ancient Near East thinkers probably would have been, uh, this would not have been totally foreign to them. They saw sin as a result of demonic work in their lives. And for us today, it might sound like a little strong language, like dead. Wow, that's, that's really strong. But I also think if we think about it in regards to kind of some of the things that people will do in this world, for example, using drugs, uh, drinking and driving. If we think about some of these sorts of activities, speeding, while it may not actually do anything initially, studies have shown that the higher speed you go, the more likely you will crash. And we could come up with all sorts of other ideas of things that people engage in that are not necessarily healthy or will lead to healthy living. In fact, we might say that some of these things literally lead to death. So this is not I think a foreign concept and Paul is sort of making this making them aware of this that we live in this fallen world uh, and sin causes us to do these things. So just as we would say that criminal activity deserves to be punished, uh, Paul says that these activities deserve wrath. And we, I think we can sort of understand that kind of concept, that these activities will eventually lead to some sort of a, a death, a spiritual death, because that's our status too. But in verse 4 it says, But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgression. So even when we of sinning and deadness, it is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages, in the future, he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is a gift from God, not by works, so that no one can boast. 
For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. This section really is the foundation of our faith as believers. We are saved. That is a, that's foundational as believers in Jesus. We are made alive in Christ. We are raised up. We are seated with Christ. That idea of being raised up is not foreign to us, and ancient Near East thinkers would have thought of this as well. They thought of heaven. So we are raised up to be with God. And then seated with Christ has that sense that we are being grafted into the family and that we now have the same status, we have the same authority to be able to essentially take down the demonic powers, the, the evil powers in our world because we have, as it says in chapter 1, the same power, we have access to the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. That is our status as people who follow Jesus. This is foundational. And we have that because, not because of ourselves, but because of God's great love. This is all about God. We don't deserve this, per se. Rather, it's a gift from God. And that gift is incomparable. There's nothing that we can compare on earth. I couldn't come up with a good analogy for you to understand the vastness and the greatness of God's love. But like any gift, because it says it's a gift, we do need to receive that gift. But some people discard it. It's like that Christmas or birthday gift that you get that you say, you open it up and you say thank you and then you bring it home again, except maybe to throw it in the trash. And some people do that. But others choose to say, yes, I want that gift. Please bring it in my life. And when we bring that, then we get the access to that power and we then are able to go out and do good works in the world. The next start section starts with therefore. So let's summarize a little bit where we're at. All of us were dead in our sins. But because of God's great love, God has given us an amazing gift of life. He's given us a new purpose. And it's not something that we deserve. It's this gift that we get to be a part of the family of God. That we have this new purpose and that we are empowered with the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. Therefore, it says in verse 11, remember that formerly you who were Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who called themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. So up to this point, he's been talking to everyone in the church at Ephesus. And of course, this letter would have been circulated around to the other churches, so he's talking to them as well. But specifically, he's starting to identify a specific group of people within the church, Gentiles. And most of the people in Ephesus were Gentiles. Gentiles were people that were uncircumcised. They were people who had not partaken in the sign that, the, that God had given the Jews to show everybody that they were God's people. Jewish males were a part of this, and it showed that they were part of the family of God and they were chosen. So the Gentiles, therefore, were not a part of this. They were separated from Christ. They were separated from the Jewish people. 
They were excluded from the family and the blessing that God had given them. And, you know, in many ways, they were dead, as he's saying, as he said earlier. And if you're dead, you're kind of without hope. And you're without God. So it's to these people, to the Gentiles, in verse 13, he says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. By setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations, his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both, to the, both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility." He, that is Jesus, came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. Built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. So even though the Gentiles were far off, even though they were separated from the Jews, from God, Christ brought them near. Christ has brought together that which was formerly separated. The dividing wall refers to, in the temple, in Jewish temple, they had different spaces that people could enter. There was literally a wall that kept the Gentiles from going further into the temple. And of course, as a Jewish believer, you believed that God was in the Ark of the Covenant. And so you could literally get closer to God as you went closer into the temple. And so there was this literal dividing wall that kept the Gentiles from getting closer to God. They weren't just cut off from God, they were cut off from relationship with Israel. And Paul is saying that now, through Christ, that dividing wall, that barrier that kept them apart, is now destroyed. They are now to become one new unified humanity that lives in peace. This was revolutionary back then, and frankly, I think it's still revolutionary today. Particularly when I think about the many different ways that we find to create divisions and barriers. We create divisions for all sorts of things. There's communion. Can't take communion unless you have these things or that. We create divisions around who can be a pastor. We, can division, we create divisions on how people. We create divisions on all sorts of other theological ideas that I don't need to We also divide over things like ethnicity and worship and Bible translations. And we could go on and on. We would, be, we would do well to remember that Jesus Christ came to preach peace. Amen. Not that things aren't important things. Many of them are, and we should have dialogue about them. We should talk about them. But if you think about the Jewish context here, the laws were for the Jews to relate to God. That's what they were for. They weren't to keep people away from God. They were how to relate to God. And so as we think about our own practices, 
How are we creating help closer to God, to connecting with God, knowing God? We, as the church today, are to show people how to connect with God. That is our purpose. As we come together in peace, we show other people how to live in right relationship with one another and right relationship with God. So what can we do? How can we live out these good works? Well, I'll have to be honest, I struggled with this because this is really complex. And I think there are all sorts of ways that we can do that. But I think in some ways, we can counter the dividing walls that we uh, build up by bringing peace and doing good works. So thinking about what sorts of things bring peace in people's lives. What sorts of things create barriers. Becoming aware of those sorts of things. And then I think we can begin to volunteer and help out in spaces where we find that there are dividing walls, where there are barriers that people experience. Maybe you want to advocate for a particular group, or maybe you want to join us on next year's mission trip. When I think about uh, the trip that we got to go on, uh, there were people on both sides of the U.S.-Mexico border that were helping people who were struggling. We got to go to Mexico, and I mentioned Kaleo, a place, a church, that was helping Haitian people protect them from the streets that are very ugly, and they were providing food for them, and they were providing a safe haven for them. And when we showed up that morning, what were they doing? They were praying. They were praying and asking God to help them through this. And there were people, Christians, on that side of the border that were helping them. In my opinion, they're breaking down the barrier. They're breaking down the dividing wall. Now, technically, that's the U.S. government and, you know, there's theological and there's country, but they're breaking down the dividing wall and helping people that are experiencing indignity. Then we went to the other side of Townsville and we saw churches there that were opening up their doors, opening up their gymnasium for people to sleep so that they could rest and prepare for the night of their journey. And I think, you know, those are two ways that I got to see that happen this week, but there are tons of ways for us to break down barriers and welcome people, and specifically welcome people into the family of God, and help people to know that God loves them, and to encourage them. So as we close today, I want to pray that we can be a church that loves other people, that shows them how God loves them, and practices things that encourage people to connect with others and with God, and that brings peace. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you that you have torn down the dividing wall, that we today exist and know you because of your son Jesus and because people back then believed in you and passed that down through generations so that today we know that you love us. We know that you care about us and that you are for us. And that is our true identity. We are people who are children of the living God, who love who loves us and cares about us. And would you help us as a church here at Crossview Rosa Parks, but we have other churches represented here today, help us to be the church that goes out and welcomes people into your kingdom and shows people the love of God. Amen.